Hello and welcome to the Wedding Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Pete the Celebrant, and we're proudly sponsored by Easy Weddings. Easy Weddings helps thousands of couples nail their big day every year. With their award-winning directory and mobile apps, you can find and book top-rated wedding suppliers, stay on track with their planning tools, or for a more hands-off approach, work with a wedding planner to save you time and money. And it's free. Jump on to easyweddings.com.au to start your stress-free journey up the aisle today. In this episode of the podcast, we meet Sarah Aird, a marriage celebrant and trainer of celebrants. We discuss how you legally get married, including a dive into marriage documents, what forms of ID you need, timeframes, and even name changes. Allow me to introduce you to the very knowledgeable Sarah Aird. Well, hello and welcome and welcome, Sarah Ed slash the Oracle. How are you? I'm so well, thank you, Pete Horton slash the Vogue model celebrant. <laughs> thank you. Um, I'll put that in my little box of goodies later that I'll just hug and make me feel warm and fuzzy. We all need that at the moment, our warm and fuzzy box. It sounds odd. Um, now, Sarah... The reason I introduce everyone to you as the Oracle is that because that's what we call you. For those who are sort of celebrants, we call you the Oracle. Why don't you explain to everyone in the world currently planning, why do we call you the Oracle? And I guess more largely, who are you in the wedding space? Because you've got a few different hats. Sure, absolutely. So uh, my name's Sarah Ed. I've been a celebrant for almost seven years now. I think I'm at six years and 11 months. Uh, coming up to seven years and I've been performing weddings and funerals uh, since January 2014 which has been super cool Uh, but I I have one of those brains that sucks up knowledge and Mm. I just happen to be really good at the legal bits of our job and so people call me the oracle because I know all of the things it's true in fact you're so good at legal you actually train celebrants as well I sure do. So I train celebrants in our ongoing professional development requirements. We have to do five hours a year and I train celebrants in that. And I also train uh, people who are aspiring celebrants in the certificate for in celebrancy. It's very exciting. And I own one of the RTOs that teaches that qualification, life skills training. I'm the CEO of that as well. Fantastic. And we'll make sure we give everyone all that information so they can find you particularly because there will be some people who are like i want to become a celebrant or they've been thinking about it and we'll point them in your direction they need to learn from the best that would be nice let's jump straight into all these exciting legal questions that couples always have let's start with the real basic what do couples legally need to do to get married The process to get married in Australia is actually relatively simple. All you have to do is book a celebrant. That's really important. And you need to book them at least a month before your wedding ceremony. The reason for that is that you need to lodge a notice of intended marriage with your chosen celebrant no later than one month before the wedding day. It can be lodged any time up to 18 months before the wedding, but one month is the the last moment, the deadline. 
You also need to show your celebrant some documentation. You need to show them a passport or birth certificate to prove when and where you were born. And you need to show them a form of photo ID to prove that you are who you say you are. And if you've been married before, you need to show them some form of documentation that proves that that previous marriage has been terminated. So either a divorce certificate, a death certificate of your former spouse or a nullity certificate. Nullities are pretty rare in Australia, but uh, you may have one. You just never know. So they're the, the things that you need to give to your celebrant or show your celebrant ahead of time. A lot of celebrants will help you fill in the notice of intended marriage because it is a little bit tricky. It does have some weird nuances that you need to have a bit of background knowledge to understand how they should be filled in. So a lot of celebrants will help you with that process. They might send you a questionnaire to fill out and then they'll create the document for you. That document has to be signed in the presence of an authorised witness. And those witnesses are not the same people who can witness a stat deck. A lot of people get confused about that. So the witnesses, if you are signing that norm in Australia, they are a doctor, a lawyer, a justice of the peace, a police officer or a celebrant. So, uh, yeah, lots of celebrants will help you out with doing, it, doing that as well. Then you, uh, just before the ceremony, sometimes at the rehearsal if you have one, sometimes just on the day of the wedding, you need to sign another document which is called the Declaration of No Legal Impediment to Marriage. And that's your last opportunity to declare to your celebrant that there is no legal reason you can't get married. You're not married to someone else. You're not in a prohibited relationship with your partner, which means you're not brother and sister. You're not uh, uh, parent and child. You're not grandparent and grandchild. You can be aunt and nephew or uncle and niece or nephew or even cousins, though. That is legal. Yeah. Uh, it also says that you are over 18 and that there's no other legal reason that you can't get married. So your celebrant will fill that in for you and they'll point where to sign. They'll tell you. Then on the day, the absolute bare minimum legally required bits for a ceremony include 124 words. The celebrant says something. The couple both say something. Then you sign three marriage certificates and you're done. That's it. It's the whole that's, process. That's it. That is getting yeah. married legally in Australia. So that technically means, technically, that everything else is preference and tradition. And everything else is a wedding. So that legal like stuff that. is what makes a marriage. Yes. Everything else is what creates a wedding. I so rings and being walked down the aisle and bridesmaids and groomsmen or groomsmaids and bridesmen and cake and dancing and a reception and a dress and a, all of that stuff is a, is a wedding. Mm. That is not the things that are required to create a marriage. In fact, here's a tradition that most uh, brides and grooms don't know about, most couples don't know about. You don't even have to say, I do anywhere in the ceremony it's no. not a legal requirement in australia to say i do what about objections also not required totally not required let's leave that out we, nobody wants that <laughs> no one nobody want wants that. that i've had one request to have that and i was personally like i'm not sure why but i think they just wanted the hollywood wedding experience they wanted that you know i felt awkward asking it's like does anyone want to <laughs> object here in front of everyone, and I think I said, and 
you know, make their parents sad who have forked out all this money. <laughs> Thankfully, everyone has laughed and no one put their hand up. I'm like, cool, we are going to have an Good. awesome day. And that is the issue is that a lot of couples want that Hollywood wedding. We've grown up watching American movies and yeah. a lot of couples think that that's what they are looking for. So they think they have to say, I do. And they think they yeah. have to ask if anyone objects. But none of that is legally required in Australia. I find 90% of couples do want to say I do. Because even when I tell them not legally, like you said, 124 words, I do, is not two of them. And they're like, oh, okay. And I go, but I do have it. We can put a section in here. We can personalize this bit where at the end of it, you can both say I do. And I'd say easy 90% of couples say, yep. And it, it works. They enjoy it. And they Absolutely. get that. Absolutely. Feel good moment. Absolutely. If you want to say I do, you totally can. It's just not a legal requirement. Yeah. Now, I'll just let's go back to the notice of intent that you mentioned, the first form uh, which notifies your celebrant. I'm just going to be the oracle here, Pete. Yes. It's not called the notice of intent. The notice of intended marriage. Yes, I left the word <laughs> off. Thank you. Thank you, oracle, for correcting me. This is why you are the oracle. I bow to your intelligence. Uh, with the noim, let's can I call it the noim? You sure can call it the noim. Yeah, wonderful. With the noim, is there a reason between people, couple or couples, can't sign it earlier than eighteen months, and they can't decide? Hey, we want to get married today, and it has to be signed at least one calendar month, not thirty days, not thirty one days, calendar month. Mate, you might even want to go into that because there's about. Of the actual guidelines, I'm pretty sure at least a quarter of that book is about the one calendar explaining exactly what it is, giving 50 examples, just to make sure we can't get this wrong. Uh, but wh why so is there less timeframes? I am going to pull you up on one thing because it's Please. not actually about when you sign the document. It's about when the document is lodged with your celebrant. So even if you sign it a month before the wedding, but mm. then you hang on to it, and you don't actually give it to your celebrant, which is what lodging means, until two yeah. weeks before the wedding, it's too late then. Okay. It needs now, to be lodged with your celebrant at least a month before. And for then there are people going, what does that mean, lodged? Do they have to hold it physically in their hand? So, no, no longer. That changed last year. We used to have to hold it physically in our hand, but last year the Attorney General's Department who manages the Marriage Law and Celebrant section, uh, they went ahead and applied the Electronic Transactions Act to the Marriage Act, which says that if a document needs to be produced, it can be produced in hard copy paper form or in electronic copy. So you can take a photo or a scan of your signed and witnessed norm and email or text it to your celebrant by a month out and that's good to go. That's all that's required, which is really great. In terms of the why we have the time frame, I'm not entirely sure why the 18-month thing occurs. I'm guessing it's something to do with a lot of weddings are planned within that 12 to 18-month period. Hmm. So um, it's unlikely that people would want to be signing it much before then. And sure. it probably expires because couples need the opportunity to really reassess whether or not they still want to get married, I guess, if they've been hanging on to it for that, for that long. So yeah. I'm guessing that's why it expires. In terms of why we have a month's notice period, we have one of the longest notice periods in the world. 
And it's really to make sure that the couple is really sure that this is what they want to do. I've yeah. had more than one couple who have lodged a norm with me and then they've broken up in the ensuing two weeks because yeah. that piece of paper, filling in that piece of paper and handing it to a celebrant really makes it uh, kind of come home that this is serious. Mm. Like we're actually doing something really legal and serious here. And so do I really want to do this? And some couples figure out at that point that no, they don't really want to do this. So yeah. that's why we have a month's notice period so that you have time to really think about it. I think that's a little bit like a cooling important. off period when you buy yeah, a car. Exactly. But a little Except bit longer it's than a cooling off the period. Person who you'll buy everything with for the rest of your life. Yeah. So I think that thirty days to think about that is probably A month. Good. Pete. A month. That's not thirty what I meant. days. I was testing you. Well done, Oracle. <laughs> Oh, I was going to pull you up on that, but now I don't have to. Uh, I think that a lot of couples, no, I think, I do experience a lot of couples when we sign the notice of intent say to me, oh, it just, it, it's now, it feels real. It's like they it's could have been now. planning almost 12 months. And when we catch up three to four months beforehand, that's when I sign mine with my couples. And they, they look at each other and they're like, oh, wow. It's like, oh, now it's getting serious. And yeah. you're right. There's something about signing that document, having it in plain, just on paper, and it's like this is what's about to happen. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely cool. It's good to have those that cooling off period of one calendar month. Now, what in a- terms of what oh, one yeah. month means, I'm not going to mm. go into the really long technical definition that I go into when I'm teaching my celebrants. But for the majority of you, all you need to know is if you want to get married on the 15th of the month, you need to lodge it by the 15th of the month before. Perfect. So generally it's day to day. If yep. you want to get married on the 3rd of the month, you need to lodge it with your celebrant by the 3rd of the month before. Now, when I say lodge, I mm. literally mean give it to your celebrant. Whether it has that to be is signed, copy, has to be witnessed. has to be signed and witnessed. Yep. And it needs to be given to your celebrant in hard copy or electronic copy. We don't then lodge it somewhere else. We hang on to it until we after do. the wedding. I've actually seen, I was really disappointed last week to see in a group uh, that, because obviously a lot of people have signed norms that are now expiring because they've postponed their weddings due to COVID. And right. there was a, a bride in a group who was saying that her celebrant was charging her an additional $250 to redo the norm. Because the celebrant told her, that's what it costs me to lodge your name. <laughs> what? That's not a thing, <laughs> everyone. That, that should not I'm be a thing. I'm just telling you that's not, that that's not a thing. Because we don't lodge it with anyone, we keep it. I always say to my couples, <laughs> I am the government for this purpose. Like you lodge it wow. with the government through me. So I'm not then paying to send it somewhere else. So... It doesn't cost anything to lodge it with me. And, um, and I was really disappointed to see that a celebrant was kind of leveraging extra money through this horrible situation that we find ourselves in right now by suggesting that she was paying a second time to lodge this document. That's not a thing. So well, maybe be aware it, of that. What if it takes her like 20 minutes? She's like, you know, to do it all up. She's like, I'm worth $100 a minute. Is that right? I'm a celebrant, not a mathematician. Let's not go into it. 
Um, but I'm just glad to clarify to everyone that it's one calendar month. I do know that in well the done. numbers. Thank you. Uh, what about couples overseas? Uh, can they get married here? Is the process different? Not at all. It's super easy for couples to get mar- who, who live overseas to get married in Australia. You don't have to have a special visa or anything like that. You don't have to live here for a certain period of time. You can literally fly in on the morning of your wedding, get married and fly out again that same day. I don't know why anybody would want to do that, but it is actually possible. You sure. can be in touch with your celebrant by via Zoom or via phone or email to lodge the notice with them at least a month before and to plan your ceremony and all those sorts of things. But in terms of actually being in the country, you can just fly in, do it, fly out. The process is no different. You still have to lodge a notice at least a month before. Uh, you still have to show the same documents to your celebrant, passport or birth certificate for date and place of birth photo ID for your identity and proof of the termination of a previous marriage. And you can do all of those electronically as well. And you still need to sign the declaration of no legal impediment to marriage, but you can do that when you get here. So there's no difference. It's really easy. There's no problems at all. Yeah. Do couples have to keep the original? So if they send it, say like lodge it, send them a photo, do they have to keep the original and hand that to their celebrant? They don't. However, I always recommend that my couples do Mm. just because I like to have the original document. It's not required. Although you should always check with your celebrant if you are lodging it with them electronically by photo or by scan, you need to check with them that they can read it because Mm. they need to be able to read it and they need to be able to um, record information on it. Uh, So they might print it out themselves and record information on it. So it needs to be legible and it needs to be easy to understand so that uh, it could, and then it needs to be lodged with the government after the wedding goes ahead. So I like to get the original, but it's not required. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I like to get the original as well, if possible. Now we've mentioned some of these documents um, to, with their name, date of birth, and then the photo ID. So we've said passport driver's license and then um, birth certificate, if not passport. Birth certificate. Yeah. What happens if someone doesn't have birth certificate or it's just mysteriously gone missing at their mum and dad's because they've now moved out and they're not even in the same city or they're currently quarantined and they can't leave five kilometres from their house and they their passport is expired or they just don't have one because they've never gone travelling and they don't even have a driver's license because they've always relied on Aunt Betty to drive them. What do they do? So Aunt Betty is lovely, the... by the way. <laughs> Good old Aunt Betty. Good old Aunt so Betty. in terms of the uh, documents that are required by the Marriage Act, celebrants are required to see at least a passport or a birth certificate to prove date and place of birth. Now, if you can't find it, you can just get another one. It's super easy. So you just jump onto the website of the Registry of Birth, Deaths and Marriages in the state in which you were born, if you were born in Australia, and you just apply for a new copy of your birth certificate and they post it out to you. So it's pretty simple to get yourself a new birth certificate. Mm. If you were born overseas, it might be a little bit trickier, but unfortunately that's not an excuse not to have it. So Mm. just because it might be difficult or it might take time or it might cost money, is not a reason for not producing a birth certificate or passport. 
uh, you need to produce one of those documents before you can get married. There are very few circumstances under which uh, a party to a marriage does not is it's actually impossible to get one of those documents maybe because they came to Australia as a refugee and those documents no longer exist so in those very very rare circumstances they can produce a statutory declaration as proof of their date and place of birth but that's really rare I've done mm. nearly 400 weddings and I've only had that once yeah so it's very very rare in terms of photo ID the preference is a driver's license or a passport or you can get one of those proof of age key card card thingies from the post office. Mm. So that'll take a, a few weeks to come, but you can definitely go get one of those. Uh, alternatively, if you really don't have any photo ID, you can produce a bunch of other documents that have your name and address on them and the celebrant can make an assessment as to whether or not they're happy to accept those as proof of your identity. Yep. Fantastic. Thank you for all of that. You're so welcome. One thing we didn't go into with the notice of intent and with the time frame. Notice of? Intended marriage. The noim. <laughs> the noim, Miss Oracle. My apologies. Or just the notice. I, I can you say can the notice of intent, notice. but I can't call it. I can just no, call no, it the notice, no, but I can't can, call the notice the of notice. intent. The notice. Well, because the intent doesn't doesn't appear in the... I feel like it's you need you're either only going to allow noim or notice of intent marriage. You can't just go, you can call it one word, but not three. You can call it one word. You can call it the notice, but you can't call it the notice of intent because intent is, is not is in the name. Leak? It's intended. Well, that's true. That's yeah, true. see? Right. I'm going to say <laughs> I'll give it to you on a technicality because you are technically the oracle. Uh, that's that's with, what I do. With the... With the form. The notice. With the notice. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, I'm really sorry to everyone who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going, you tell him, Sarah. The guy's a punk. That's it. Uh, so say a couple wants to get married earlier. It's like they want to get married in three weeks for whatever reason. And there are some reasons. Uh, is there anything they can do? So there are five very specific circumstances that are laid out in the marriage regulations 19, 2017 under which a couple can apply for a shortening of time. So they would need to, to apply to a prescribed authority to say, we come under one of these circumstances for whatever reason, and that prescribed authority can waive the one month's notice period. There are five pretty specific circumstances though, and not many couples fit the requirements. So the circumstances are, employment-related or other travel conditions. So um, one of you might have got a job in the US and in order to, for both of you to go together, you need to be married because you can't, uh, the other partner can't work, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, and if they need to be there in less than a month, then you can get a shortening. There is wedding and other celebration arrangements. So that's where the couple have booked everything. They've booked their whole entire wedding, but they didn't know they needed to book a celebrant at least uh, one month before the ceremony. Because yep. again, they grow up watching American movies and in the States you can just get married the next day. So that's Elvis. the second one. Yeah. The third one is medical reasons. And that is where one of the couple or a very close family member is literally dying. So it, they're suffering from a serious illness, which means they will not be able to be at the wedding if it takes place in more than one month. So we're really looking at they're going to be dead in less than a month. I know that mm. sounds really harsh 
And sometimes when I've said it, I've had couples ring me and say, we'd like to get a shortening of time under illness. And I say, is one of you dying? <laughs> and it sounds, it sounds really harsh, but that's the truth. That's the Legit. test. If you don't it's ask it, yeah. someone else will. Yep. The fourth one is legal proceedings. If one of you is going to prison uh, and you'd like to get married beforehand. And the fifth one is where the celebrant has made a mistake. So if the celebrant has not given you the right advice or if the celebrant has lost your notice after it's been lodged. So very specific circumstances to get married in less than one month. Mm. I once lost someone's notice of intent, but then they realized it's not a real thing. So they didn't have to worry. It's a notice <laughs> of intended marriage. Let's... <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk about these marriage certificates because these kind of do my head in a little. How many marriage certificates do couples sign? And then so, at the end, yeah. So on the day of the wedding, you sign three marriage certificates. One that the couple gets to take home with them. That's the pretty one. Yep. One that is for the celebrant's records. And that mm -hmm. might be in a big red book or it might be loose. And then one that gets sent to the Registry of Births, Deaths and Marriages to register the marriage. So there are kind of three important uh, parties to this marriage. There's the actual people who are getting married. They get one. There's the celebrant who is performing the marriage. They keep one for their own records. And there's the Registry of Births, Deaths and Marriages who need to register the marriage. So they need a copy as well. So three on the day. Then if you want to change your name or you want to do various other things that require you to prove that you're married, you need to apply for your official certificate from birth, deaths and marriages. And that will come generally four to six weeks after the wedding, after you've applied for it. The difference between the two marriage certificates, the one you get on the day and the one that comes from BDM, is that the one that you get on the day is proof that the marriage ceremony took place. That is the only thing it's proof of, but that's a really important document because if for whatever reason, Pete didn't send in your marriage documents to birth, deaths and marriages and it never got registered, that document you got on the day is the only proof you have that the ceremony actually went ahead. And of course, Pete would never do that. So Thank please you. don't worry about it. But Appreciate it has happened, has happened quite a lot with uh, particularly religious ministers. They've died or retired and someone's gone through their office and found 20 years of non-lodged marriage certificates. So the, the certificate the couple got on the day is the only proof they have that that's, that ceremony actually went ahead. So that's what that one oh. is, but you can't use that to change your name or anything like that. It is a legal document. It can't be replaced. It should go in a frame on the wall. It is important. And then the one that you get from birth, deaths and marriages is a little bit like a birth certificate. It is essentially a copy of the information that the Registry of Births, Deaths and Marriages has on their register of marriage. And that's the one that you can use to prove your identity, to change your name, to prove that you're married. That one essentially says that the government knows about this marriage now. They've registered the marriage and made it all official and all those sorts of things. So that's the one that is allowed to be used. It's, I guess they think maybe it's harder to fake one of those than to fake a Form 15 at, at the couple's certificate yet on the day. So maybe mm. that's what it's about. That has only really changed in the last 15 years. I can't believe it's 15 years now. Um, since 9-11, that really changed. So like my mum, mm. my parents got married in 1971, 72, around then sometime. And my mum often says, well, I've never 
ordered a marriage certificate from BDM. No, no, because pre-9-11, you could just use the document you got on the day to change your name and anything else you needed to do. But post-9-11, organisations all around the world started tightening up their identity requirements. So they would no longer accept a document like the one you get on the day. Sure. Uh, so that's been from about 2004 or 2005. There you go. How does a couple, so say if one of the couples wants to take on their partner's surname or they want to create one or hyphen it or anything like that, what do they do with that form and how does someone change their surname? Sure. So when you change your name through marriage, you're not going through a legal change of name process. You don't apply to birth, destiny marriages for them to change your name forever. You always have access to your birth name. When you change your name through marriage, you change it through usage. So basically what you do is you get your official certificate from birth, destiny marriages, which will be in both of your birth names. There's no point at which you say, Um, I'm going to be changing my name later and then they put your marriage certificate in your married name. That's not how it works. Your your marriage certificate will be issued in the name that you got married in. So then you take that document to all the places that have your name on file. The bank, Medicare, the DVD library. I don't think they have any of those anymore. The gym, the gym, your parents, your kids' school, whatever it is, any Mm. place that has your name on file And you say to them, I want to use this other name and here's my marriage certificate to prove that I'm allowed to use that other name, that I have access to that other name. Now, the name that you can use is your name, your partner's name, a combination in terms of either hyphenating those two names or just using both names with a space in the middle of them. You can't create a new word by combining the two names through this process. You would need to do that through a legal change of name process. But in terms of assuming a new name through marriage, it can either be putting those names together or taking one or the other's names. And there's also no rule about who changes their name. So a man can change his name exactly the same way that a woman changes hers. There's no rules around only women can do this or or anything like that. So you really can't just create your own last name and say, oh, we're married, it's all good that has to at least go through a process of having an official name change. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. What are some common mistakes that you find couples making when it comes to the legalities of marriage? Not bringing the documents that I have asked them to bring. Mm. So I'm pretty clear when I meet with my couples, I need you to bring your passport or your birth certificate. Mm. And, a, and some photo ID. And people often turn up just with their driver's license. No, no, no. That's good. I need that. But I also need your passport or your birth certificate. Oh, but yeah. I was born in Australia. That doesn't matter. It's not relevant. So not bringing the documents. So make sure you really read what your celebrant has asked you to bring and bring everything that they've asked for because it's important. Yeah. Uh, another error that is that often happens is when the couple fills in the notice of intended marriage themselves, which they sometimes do, and that is lovely for them. Uh, But often they, because they don't really understand the nuances of the form, because they don't do this every day like we do, they'll leave words out. So, for example, there's a field that you have to fill in which is called conjugal status. 
I really want it to be called marital status because I don't really like the word conjugal, but that's what we've got at the moment. And in that one, you need to write either divorced or widowed or never validly married. And a lot of couples, when they fill that in, they leave the word validly out. The word validly is actually really important because you might have been married before, but your marriage might have been voided or nullified because it didn't actually meet the requirements of the law when it took place. So therefore, you haven't been never married because you have been married. You just haven't been validly married under the law. So never validly married is, is what needs to go in that, in that box. And the third big issue that people do is that when I ask them for their mother's maiden name, they just give me the surname. I need the full name. So you have to, the notice of intended marriage requires both parents' full names and it, it requires their full names essentially at birth. So uh, I will ask for father's full name and mother's full maiden name and they'll often just give me the surname. So then I have to say, no, no, full name, first and middle names as well. They're the yep. big ones. Let's talk about the future. Not necessarily spaceships, but what are some changes you see in the winning space, winning industry? What are some potential things, even like legalities, that could possibly change, that might be in discussion? You're part of these discussions, the higher up, the secret handshakes, you all, you know all about this stuff. What do you think? Look, to be honest, I, I don't envisage many big legality changes that will have much of an impact on couples. Most of the legality changes that I'm currently kind of arguing about are about things that really only affect the celebrant. So, for example, one thing um, that celebrants talk about quite a lot is that the reason we have three marriage certificates that get signed on the day is because we used to post one of them to BDM. So we had to have our own copy that was a separate document and then we would post the other one to BDM. But in all of the eastern states now, BDMs have online systems where we can scan the documents and upload them, which means we're now left with two original marriage certificates that were signed on the day. So a lot of people say, why do I have to fill in two when now I've got both of them? Well, because that's what the Marriage Act requires. That's just the rule and it's going to require an amendment to the Act to, to not have that happen. People are, uh, you know, starting to to write to their local members about that. So hopefully that's something we'll, that will change. Again, all that's going to change for the couple, though, is really that they just don't have to sign a third document on the day. Everything else will just be the same. Um, mm. I I don't I don't envisage a change to the notice period um, at any time. I don't envisage that we'll be able to do weddings over video conference, like I know is, is happening in some other parts of the world, mm. but it's not happening in Australia. And currently the Attorney General's department has made it very clear that they have no plans to make that a thing. Um, there has been some consideration of allowing the notice of intended marriage to be witnessed over video conferencing, particularly because of the COVID requirements that are making it quite difficult to witness a norm in, in Melbourne right now. But they've been talking about that since April, so I'm not holding my breath that that will actually happen. And if it does happen, it will only be for the period of the COVID restrictions anyway, so it won't be a kind of ongoing change to the Act. Um, so, 
Yeah, not kind of a lot of big things. There'll be little things about how celebrants do our work. There'll be things around the ongoing professional development requirements. Currently, we need to do five hours per year. It's looking like that's going to change in a couple of years. So not so many things that to will affect increase or decrease? couple. Decrease. Decrease. Is that yep. because we're just so professional that we don't need continuing professional development? That's one argument. <laughs> yep. I'm not sure if I'd go I mean, with that one either. Well, given you don't know that it's not called a notice of intent, you know, maybe <laughs> we do need more. Clearly, this guy should not be in the job. <laughs> Might as well just call it that form with paper and writing on it. Form with paper. Um, I don't so, know. yeah, the legal changes are much more likely to impact celebrants than they are to impact couples. Yeah. Okay. I haven't Although it would all. be nice to do Zoom weddings and things. Like, that would be cool. Would you uh, like that? It's I mean, there's a certain, like right now in Melbourne, given we're all locked in our homes, if we could do mm. weddings over Zoom, people who need to be married for certain reasons could get married. Like I had a couple, yeah. I had three couples that I was planning to marry in August after we went into stage four lockdown. The first couple, um, they are having a baby. They've probably had the baby now and they wanted to get married before the baby came. Yeah. So now that's not possible. The second couple are... Uh, one, they're applying for a partner visa and one of their tourist visas was running out on the 5th of September. So now he's kind of in the country illegally, which is not good for anyone. And the third one are an Indian couple who came here as students. So um, they met at home and they've been a couple for a long time and they've come here now to study their masters. But it's not culturally appropriate for them to live together, not married, but given that they've come to Australia, they can't afford to get a place each, right? So right now they're living together, unmarried, and it's not good. Under yeah. their religion or their cultural rules, it's not okay. And they're uncomfortable about that. So if we could have done weddings by video conference, all three of those couples could be married right now and they wouldn't have those, those issues. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I've been asked a lot about that. But uh... yeah. I guess I haven't. Thing. No, I haven't had any of my couples personally ask. It's just been uh, people in general talking about what's life been like. Uh, but yeah, okay, yeah, I can see that. There are some circumstances where it would actually be really helpful if we could do them yeah. by Zoom. Yeah, you yeah. know, because there are some people who just want to get married. They yeah. don't want to have a wedding. No. They just want or need to get married for whatever reason. Yep. And, you know, I'm not going to say that those reasons are valid or not valid. If they feel it's it's a valid reason, then, you know, weddings are currently banned in Melbourne. And this is the first time in Australia's history that weddings have been banned anywhere in the country. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's very, very odd and strange. And yes, there right. are very limited compassionate reasons under which a marriage can take place, but they're very limited. Yeah. Without turning it's this weird. into a political discussion, would you say yeah. that the Andrews government is against love? <laughs> don't answer that. You don't have to answer that. Uh, we'll probably get rid of I that I am going to mention, Pete Go Horton, that it. the Marriage Act has nothing to do with love. The Marriage Act does not mention love like anywhere at all. I love Marriage is that. ultimately a... I'm going to say it's a business transaction. There you go. Because... <laughs> Ultimately, it's about, like, marriage is about changing your status, yeah. changing your legal status. 
so it has an impact on your will. It hasn't. If you, yeah. that's a really good n- note for everybody. If you've yes. already got a will when you get married, it will be invalidated by your marriage. So you need Boom. to get a new one. Um, so it has an impact on your will. It has an impact on uh, your access to welfare. It impacts your tax. It impacts um, all sorts of things about uh, your legal status within society. So it's marriage. Marriage, not weddings. Marriage mm. is not actually mm. about love at all. Um, it's much more about legality. And the word yeah. love does not appear in the Marriage Act. Anyway. Does not. Nowhere. No. So there well, you go. It's not about love. It's about trading four cows for yes. one of your children. It is and about have... joining two families in a strategic alliance. Exactly. Come on. Game of Thrones. That's what we're watching right now. <laughs> love it. <laughs> what do you wish couples knew you've done over 400 weddings almost what do you wish weddings. almost well, we'll just say over 400 it's fine okay sure go with it um <laughs> i wish that couples and look this is not all couples by any stretch but i wish that couples knew how much work goes into creating a marriage ceremony and it's not just about the legal stuff although that is complex and what I've touched on today is not even a quarter of the legalities for, that relate to marriage. So the legalities of our role are really complex. But also, like, we spend time writing and thinking and researching and, uh, and creating. And there's, a, you know, there's quite a lot that goes into that. And then we also spend time practicing and rehearsing so that you get the best experience on your day. And, you know, it... it the vast majority of couples who hire me are not at all um, – they're not concerned or surprised by the amount of work that I put in. But it, it disheartens me a little bit when I see in bridal Facebook groups how dare they charge that much money for turning up on the day and talking for 15 minutes. Yeah. Because that's not really all that we do. The turning up on the day and talking for 15 minutes is probably 10 to 20% of the actual work that goes into creating yeah. a ceremony. So there's that, although again, that's not all couples. Yeah. Um, and also I would love for uh, couples to know how passionate we are and mm. how much we love our work and how much we want them to have an incredible day and the best day for them, whatever that looks like. Because everybody's best day is different. So I do a lot of legals only ceremonies for couples who just wanna be married And that is their best day all the way through to, you know, a 30 to 45 minute ceremony with lots of different inclusions and people involved in their ceremony and music and whatever else. That's their best day. Mm. So we're just really passionate about making sure that everybody gets their own best day, whatever that looks like. And I hope that couples know that. Let's come to our final two questions. What's your best advice that you can give couples? I think my best advice is to choose a celebrant who they reckon they could be mates with. Mm. Choose a celebrant that they feel like they would be really comfortable going out for dinner with or going out for a coffee or whatever it is. Somebody that they just feel like they could be friends with because the kind of person that you have that kind of relationship with is just going to produce a ceremony that is going to be much more you. Um, and much more suited to who you are and what you love and what's important to you in your day. 
So I think that's my number one tip, you know, have a look at Celebrant social media, have a look at their websites, ring a few and have a chat to them. You know, we don't call people anymore, but you can. It's totally okay. Ring yep. a few and have a chat and mm. and see what their personality is like, what their voice sounds like, because you're going to have to listen to that during the most important part of your day. So what does their voice sound like? Are they funny? If, do you want them to be funny? If you do, are they? Do you want them to be serious? If you do, are they? So, you know, what? choose someone that you like. Choose mm. someone who you have a good connection with. It's all about the connection. Uh, you know, I can tell you all the magic legal things that I know, but ultimately that's not as important as, as finding somebody that you connect with who's going to create and deliver a ceremony that's going to be the perfect start to your incredible day. That might be true, but I appreciate that you know all the legal stuff and you're great at it and we can come to you and be like, help me, I recall. And you're like, yeah, see, I'm I here will. for the celebrants. Just don't call it the notice of intent or no, I'll don't. shun you. And also don't say it's 30 days. No. No. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know so many couples are going to just get so much out of this and go, oh, that makes a lot more sense. How can couples and even how can celebrants and potential celebrants find you? So many ways. Okay, so my celebrant business is at sarahaird.com.au, S-A-R-A-H-A-I-R-D.com.au and I'm Sarah Aird Civil Celebrant on Instagram and Facebook. My uh, collaboration with Queensland Celebrant Josh Withers, which is a membership platform for celebrants where they can ask us any question at all, that's called the Celebrant Institute and you can find us at celebrant.institute or Celebrant Institute. There is, or we also have a podcast called The Celebrant Talk Show where we talk all things celebrancy and wedding industry in general. And then if you want to be a celebrant or if you want to do your celebrant OPD with me, you can find me at Life Skills Training. So www.lifeskillstraining.com.au and also Life Skills Training RTO on Facebook and Instagram. Fantastic. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you for all your knowledge and all your wisdom. Thank you, everyone who has listened. I know it's been a big episode today, but there's been so much in there. Thank you for joining us. I hope you're doing well wherever you are enjoying this podcast. Have an incredible day, night. We will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Like we do it, like we do it.